We're going through Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 33, 37. A lot of scientific surveys and experiences tell us. Everybody look up here for a second. We as a country lie more than ever. True? <laughs> You're going, I don't lie. Okay, maybe not you. We as a country lie more than ever. Okay, we are a country now where the word Ponzi scheme, okay, Ponzi scheme. So I walk up to a random person and go, do you know what a Ponzi scheme is? And even if they don't follow the news, Ponzi scheme, business leaders, CEOs, getting caught for fraud, insider training, we shrug our shoulders. We lie more to the government. Well, government lying, well, we just, this is a given, right? We don't trust our leaders. Uh, the church has a black face also, black eye, I should say, black eye, black eye. The church has a black eye also in what? We um, don't trust our pastors. Business, politics, even field of academics. We are a country in which lying, half-truth, misrepresentation is just part for the course. Now, here's the thing. In that context, what we're going to look at today, Jesus comes and he says something shocking. He says, here's what a life of someone who has entered the kingdom looks like. You are absolutely committed to truth-telling in general and promise-keeping in particular. Followers of Jesus are absolutely committed to total and utter truth-telling. And if you do that, you and I will stand out like sore thumb in this culture that we live in. Here's the text. We'll look at it. Matthew 5.33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say simply is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So the kingdom of God is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And Jesus said that the kingdom of God is essentially what the Christian life is about. When you, when you become a Christian, when you in faith, believe that Christ has risen, has died and risen again. He says the kingdom power, the rule and reign of God comes entering into our lives. And when the rule and reign of God comes entering into our lives, there is a transformational righteousness that happens in you and in me. And let me pause for a moment and say this. If there hasn't been a transformational righteousness that has taken place in your life, if you've been a Christian for five years and there is no difference in the transformational righteousness in your life, if you've been a Christian for two, three, four, five years and you are the exact same person you are today than you were three, four, five years ago, we need to pause for a moment and go, has the rule and reign of God truly come into our lives? Jesus says when that happens, everything about you changes. Because now there's a new king who enters into our lives and our priorities, our values, everything revolves around him and everything changes. And our lives become, and I get this from Romans 12 too, unfashionable, countercultural, counterintuitive, radically different from that rest of the world. And the text that we come to today, Jesus says, a person who's experienced the rule and reign of God, there is this characteristic about you. You are absolutely committed to radical principle of truthfulness. 
Let's just pause for a moment and talk about this. Why is truthfulness so important? Let me just put this up here. I think it's up on the slide. Truthfulness and truth-telling is important because it's what makes you human. It's what makes you human. It's what makes you human. What do I mean? It's the fragile tissues that keeps humanity together. Lewis Meads is a theologian ethicist who taught at Fuller for 20-some years, said this. Let me put up this quote. He said, the only way to overcome the unpredictability of your future is the power of promising or truth-telling. If forgiving is the only remedy for your painful past, promising is the only remedy for your uncertain future. Let me just pause and say this. First, he says, the only way to truly be free and human is to forgive. Why? If you don't forgive someone, you're completely and utterly controlled by something else. One, you're utterly controlled by your past. If you don't forgive someone who has hurt you, your past has you by the throat. You're in prison. Prison of your anger. Prison of your bitterness. Some of you are there today. You're literally in a prison. You're not free. Don't take this the wrong way. You're either like a program. You're programmed or an animal. Controlled by instincts. You're not free. You're not a human being. You are completely and utterly controlled by hate, by bitterness, anger of your past. So he says, if you want to be human, you got to forgive. Otherwise, you're in a prison. Then he says this though. The second part he says this in the same way. He says making promises and keeping them. Making commitments and keeping them. Being true to people, being true and reliable, being dependable and following through is the only way you could have true freedom, true freedom in the face of an unpredictable future. What does this mean? Let me illustrate this way. Every wedding I officiate, I'll stand and I'll say to the people, what you're doing right now is you're making a promise for the future, right? You're saying to each other, two days from now, two weeks from now, two months from now, two years from now, five years from now, 10, 20 years from now, I will still be here. I will still be faithful to you. I will still be committed to you. I will do everything that I have promised you that I would do. And it's only in that context that you can be truly free and truly you. I say that to a couple. I say, the only way you're going to be totally, utterly vulnerable to each other is if you know he is committed to me. No matter what he sees, he is committed to me. It's only in that context you can be utterly vulnerable. It's only in that context you utterly be free. Why? If you don't have promise and truth-telling and promise and things that you say, I'm going to do these things and keeping them, what are you driven by? What are you controlled by? Well, in a relationship, our culture says what? I'm driven by feelings. I'm driven by emotions. I'm driven by chemistry. I'm driven by my glands. I'm driven by the circumstances. I'm driven by the environment. In other words, you're an animal. You're driven by instincts. You're controlled by circumstances. You go here, you go there, you go. What will keep you human? What will keep you free? It's saying, I am committed. I keep my promises. I am here no matter what. Do you see how counter culture this is to our culture? Because our culture says what? Our culture says, uh, stay away from commitments. Stay away from long-term commitments. Are you serious? You want to be free? You want to be you? Stay away from long-term commitments. Promises are for suckers. Marriage? Marriage is for losers. Why would you want to do that? This is why I hear conversations like this all the time. I go, I thought you said you were going to be at our church for a while. Where are you going so soon? Married couples. I thought you said you were going to stick with me no matter what. Where, Where are you going so soon? 
I thought you were going to be part of this company for a while. Well, wh where are you going? So, I, I thought you were going to be my friend. Here I am telling you everything that I'm going through. Wh where are you going so soon? Are you free? Are you human? Are you programmed and controlled? Look what Simi is saying. If you want to be truly free, you want to be human, make commitments and stay with it. Make promises and keep it. By the way, <laughs> here's another word that was directly relevant to us. Don't join churches. Just visit on Sundays. Don't make commitments to church long term. Why would you want to do that? People that go, come and please, you should leave as you please. Why, why would you want to make long term commitments to a church? You want to be free? Make a promise. Call the world to witness that you're not an animal or a computer pushed about by your feelings, by your moods, by your glands. Keeping your promises makes you human. Are you with me? You know what I'm saying? It makes you free. Keeping promises and, and staying true to them, making commitments and true to them. You're saying, I'm not controlled by my environment. I'm not controlled by how I feel Tuesday versus Thursday. I'm not controlled by the circumstances. I'm not controlled by any of these things. Toss back and forth. I am true. I'm committed. And I stick with it. Listen, you could either say self-fulfillment comes before truth, or you could live your life going, no, no, no. Truth comes before self-fulfillment. If you put truth before self-fulfillment, you may get both, truth and self-fulfillment. You put self-fulfillment before truth, you may get neither. Are you committed? Do you keep your promises? Do you say something and do another? Are you honest? So let's look at this text, shall we? We'll go verse by verse and then we'll apply it. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Interpret keys for someone. We've been talking about this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, he's not quoting the Old Testament, right? You're not going to find this anywhere in the Old Testament. Why? Because when Jesus, you've heard that it was said, he's not talking about the scriptures. He's talking about what? What the religious leaders were saying, their interpretations of the law, right? And here's what the religious leaders were saying. They're saying, if you swear on the Lord, meaning if you swear using the name of the Lord, name of God, then you have to keep that oath. But if you swear by anything else, like you swear by the heavens, I swear by the earth, I swear by my head, I swear by my family, I swear. He says, well, you know, at that time, if you want to kind of down the line break the oath, you're permitted to break that oath. That's what the interpretation was. And what does Jesus say? He says what? I tell you, don't swear at all. And for those of us that grew up like in conservative fundamental Baptist churches, the pastors go, don't swear at all. He's like, no, in other words, don't use profanity. That's not what this means. That's not what this means. What is this one? Don't swear at all. Listen, what, what, is he saying that we should never make promises? No, because Jesus actually made promises and oaths. We see in the Gospels. Apostle Paul makes promises and oaths in the epistles. And God himself, more than any other example, Genesis 15. Do you remember that sermon? Genesis 15. The animals are caught there, and God walks between the pieces and he makes an oath. And he says, may it be done to me as these animals if I do not keep the oath. The Bible is full of covenants and promises and commitments. So what does Jesus mean when he says don't swear at all? It's actually the opposite of what the religious teachers were saying, and it's pretty scary. 
He says, but I tell you, don't swear at all, either by heaven for it's God's throne, or by the earth for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem for it's the great city of the king, and don't swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. You know what Jesus is saying? Here it is. He's saying, if you're a Christian, there are no levels of truthfulness. There are no degrees of truthfulness. I'm going to break this down a little bit. But he's saying, look, y'all thinking, well, if I swear by God, then I got to keep it. But if I swear by anything else, then it's okay, I'm off. And what does Jesus say? He goes, if you swear by the heavens, that's God's throne. You swear by the earth, that's God's footstool. You swear by the city, that's God's city. You swear by your head, yeah, God owns that too. In other words, he's saying God is everywhere and God owns everything, which means every promise you make is observed and watched. Every promise you make is is observed and watched. By the way, by the only eyes that really matter. So every, yeah, he heard you. Every, no. Is this pretty frightening? Yeah, but now here's the thing though. Here's the thing. If I, if I told you this, if I told you, let's say tomorrow you got up, right? And you heard, <laughs> I don't know why, but as I was studying this, we got these stupid TV shows these days, right? What's that show on Channel 2? Big Brother. Is it Big Brother? Big Brother? Where like people are in a bunch of house and they're watched like 24-7, something like that. I mean, so I thought, imagine if you got up tomorrow morning, right? And every word you said, even the tone and the intonation was recorded. And then on Tuesday night, 2020, the special. And they, dis- <laughs> and they played over the networks. 20 million people watched Every single word that you said, even the intonation, tomorrow. Let me ask you a question. So if you knew that, would that change the way you spoke tomorrow? You know what Jesus is saying? If that freaks you out and go, well, of course that would act different. He says, do you not realize that your heavenly father is everywhere and he owns everything? The only eyes that matter is observing everything. Do you know why we take this lightly? You got to understand where this comes from in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been talking about anger, murder. (laughs) I don't know why I said it that way. Violence and sex. So he's talking about anger, murder, violence, and sex. And then he whoo, puts on the bricks and talks about this. Do you know why? Because we are way more sensitive about the sins of anger, murder, violence, and sex than we are about our lies. The words that we say, anger, 
murder, violence, murder, sex. Oh, those are startling sins. And Jesus says, you breathe and swim a culture in which lies, half-truths, misrepresentations. Shrug our shoulders. And he goes, it's lethal. It's toxic to your soul. Are we feeling uncomfortable yet? It's the proverbial frog in the kettle. Frog in the kettle. The temperature is being raised. Frog's in the kettle slowly, right? And the frog's like, wow, this is cool. And doesn't realize as the temperature slowly increases that he's getting cooked. And eventually he's dead. He got nice little frog soup. You guys have never heard that analogy before? <laughs> it's in a pot. I'm sorry, okay. Please do remember, I'm an immigrant to this country. I came here, I came here, I came here when I was 10 years old. Please do remember that. When I, I, sometimes I, I mess up on stuff like that. Let me, let, me, let me give you an indication of our culture. I had this story from another pastor. A pastor was on an airplane, and he's sitting next to a businessman. He's trying to witness to him, and the businessman is just hostile, nasty towards Christianity. And the businessman goes, you know what? I don't even believe, I don't believe in sins. I don't believe in sinners. It's, it's nonsense. And the pastor looked at him and said, okay, let me ask you some questions. He goes, what? Do you ever um, lie or exaggerate to make a sale? You're a salesman. The guy goes, well, yeah, everybody in my industry does that. Goes, well, do you ever uh, fill out a, a business expense claim? That really wasn't a business expense claim? He goes, well, you know, all of us sort of. And then the pastor said, let me ask you one final question. All your travels for sales? Have you been absolutely, utterly faithful to your wife? And the man just kind of looked and just stared at him, stunned. Is he a terrible person? Is he... Just, you know, an extraordinary bad sinner. Is he? I would venture to guess that's our culture just, that's, isn't that how we? Here, let me put up another quote. And I don't know who said this, so you can come from me. The, the, the children generally lie and steal and want to make reality what they want it to be is routinely observable. But the fact that they sometimes grow up to become truly honest adults is what really seems the more remarkable. And if you have parents, if you're, if, if, kids, that the day where you look at them and they know what they're doing and yet they still lie anyway is the day that your heart just goes, oh, where's it come from? Church, everybody look up here. Wake up to the culture that you breathe. Wake up to the culture that you and I live in. I don't care what industry or field you're in. Think even Christian, I'm, I'm going to get to that at the end, even Christian communities. And this is around what Jesus says. Look what he says. He says, verse 37. All you need, so, is to simple say yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the devil. He's saying you have to understand that the battle for truthfulness is in the every little yes and every little no. The battle for your soul is not in anger, murder, adultery. The battle for your soul is the, yeah, I'll pray for you. Did you pray for him? Sure, son, I'll fix your bike. Did you fix his bike? 
every little yes or no. By the way, I love preaching on the floor better. I don't think I'm going back there. I, I, I got to tell you guys, the thought, and I'll get to this, the thought that every single day, by the way, I didn't want to preach this sermon because it's one of those like, you big hippo, hypocrite. You big hypocrite. You big hypocrite, Peter. How dare you? Because you know why? Preachers were known to do exaggeration. I caught a fish. How big was it? It was this big. Really, it was like this big. <laughs> hey, Pastor Peter, will you? And I just casually go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't tell you how often I make promises and don't keep it. Yeah. Why? Every little yes or no is observed. I'm accountable. I'm accountable to every yes or no as if I swore on it in a stack of Bibles. Everything you and I say is as binding as if you did it under oath. <sighs> Makes me want to just keep my mouth shut, you know, for the rest of the week. I'm going to go and apply this, okay? And here's the thing. I, I got I I to just, I just want to say this. This is going to hurt. So, matter of fact, for some of us, this really, really hits home on two fronts. Number one, we are the recipients of broken promises. And, man, you know the pain of that. The other end is some of us breathe and swim in a culture in which half-truths, misrepresentations. It's like, well, it's part for the course. So this is going to hurt a little bit, but Jesus is a great physician, and he'll cut you open. It hurts. He'll take the tumor out. Ow! But then he eventually sews you back up. So what does it mean to say yeses be yeses and noes be no? What does it mean for a follower of Jesus to be absolutely committed to truth-telling? Here it is. One, there can't be degrees of truthfulness in what you say. There can't be degrees of truthfulness. Let me give you some examples. A lot of us make a distinction between honesty in one area and honesty in another area. Attorneys, raise your hands, please. What does it mean when you go, is this on the record? Yeah, it's on the record. That means what? Maybe I'll be honest with you, right? Yes? Dan, yes? Yeah, so yeah. On the record means maybe, because why? Because on the record means if I, you know, fib a little bit, I might be held liable, so on the record. And then you go, is this off the record? It's off the record. Well, let me tell you what's for real. On the record? Off the record. On the record? Kind of, sort of, be honest, but off the record? That's when I'm... Here's another one. We make tremendous distinction between honesty at one level and honesty at another level. Oh, oh, this is so painful. See, we have general and specific. What do I mean? Generally, we go, I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. I make mistakes. I hurt people. I'm a terrible person. I have anger issues, so on and so forth. At the general level, I am a sinner. Then somebody comes along and goes, let me be really specific about how you're a sinner. Let me be very particular. 
and point something out to you. What do we go? Do we go, well, thank you so much. I am a No, we don't do that. We go, who the heck do you think you are? What you saying to me? Get your stuff together before you. Why? Well, aren't you? Generally, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. My life isn't open. Okay, well, let me show you specifically how you fall short. <laughs> Why are you honest in one level? And then when somebody points it out at a specific, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is that? What is that? Do you do that? I do that all the time. Why? I'm dishonest at my core. Hello. Unless the transformation, righteousness of the kingdom is growing in your life through the Holy Spirit, there will be various levels of honesty. I'll be honest with my sins at the general level, but at the specific level, I'll never admit to anybody face-to-face that I'm wrong. Here's how you know. Can I just be really specific with you? How you take criticism shows whether or not you believe in levels of honesty and whether or not you are a person of truth. Here's what I mean. There's no such thing as pure motive criticism. There's no such thing. Just forget about it. When somebody comes to criticize you, of course it's latent with their insecurity. Of course it is part. Of course they're not perfect. Of course there's some of their issues stuck in there. Of course it's part true, part false. All criticism is like that. But here's the thing. When somebody comes and gives you constructive criticism, do you look at the small part that's actually true and go, thank you so much. That actually is true. Even though there's all this other stuff about your insecurity. Oh, that's really true. I, I receive it. I need to grow in that area. Or do you go, I'm going to ignore that small part that's really true. But I go, why are you so insecure? <laughs> and I go, who do you think you are? You're not perfect. How do you handle criticism? Do you have honesty on one level? And then different others? How do you handle when somebody lovingly comes and speaks truth in love to you? Are you grateful for the fact that God uses flawed human beings to go, hey there. Maybe this is an area you can grow in. Or do you get absolutely defensive and refuse to accept anything that may even be remotely true? Uh, here's one, one, a couple more. Speaking uh, at different levels, we do that with people, right? I do this all the time. Ring, ring. Hey, Peter, it's so-and-so. Oh, <coughs> tell him I'm sick. <laughs> tell him I'm busy. Five minutes later, ring, ring. Who is it? Oh, yeah, give me the phone. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing okay. It's so, I don't even think about it. Like depending on who the person is, I, yeah, I'll take your call. I'm totally available. Oh, no, I'm sick. I'm busy. I'm, where's, here's one of this. I was talking to a mentor of mine about four or five years ago. And I didn't realize I was doing this. At one point, he stopped me and he goes, can I tell you something, Peter? I said, yeah. He goes, stop saying, well, to be honest. I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, do you notice that every other sentence you go, well, to be honest, well, to be honest. And he goes, I know what you're saying. You're trying to accentuate. But he says, when you say, well, to be honest, then my assumption is then everything that you said before, to be honest, is what? (laughs) 
You know, it's a filler, right? It's like the word so, 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 so. We go, to be honest, to be honest, to be honest, to be honest. But if you're a kingdom follower, I'm serious. If you're a kingdom follower, think about what you're doing when you go, well, to be honest. What are you telling the other person going, so everything that you said up until now is, do I need to question it? So I'm still working on this. And so instead of to be honest, I go, well, to be blunt. I don't, which, I don't think, which I don't think is helpful, you know, because I don't think I need to preface it. They know I'm blunt, so I need to find something that's like redundant. <laughs> Let your yeses be yeses. Let your noes be no. Don't make promises you can't keep. Don't exaggerate. Peter, preach yourself. Don't exaggerate. Peter, preach to yourself. Be accurate. Be fair. Live with integrity. Let your yeses be yeses. Let your noes be no. Guys, shouldn't our speech always be full of grace and truth? Shouldn't it always? Okay. Here's the last, and then we're just going to break this up. A person of absolute faithfulness or truthfulness, then, is a person of integrity. Do you know where the word integrity comes from? It comes from the word integer, which doesn't mean what we think it means. Integer literally means to be whole as opposed to be fragmented or to be in pieces. A person of integrity is a whole person. Person of integrity is a simple person, not simple-minded, a simple person. A person of integrity says and does the same thing. They say and they think the same thing. They're who they are in public is the same they are in private. They are simple, consistent. Here's what a person of integrity is. And then we're going to look at the gospel and then be done. A person of integrity, first of all, someone who doesn't say one thing and do another. This is huge. When somebody goes, will you pray for me? Pause! Because if somebody says, will you pray for me? And you go, yes. Then you pray for them. If you just simply go, well, yes, whether it be because you want to look like a good Christian or you want to be the good person or you know what, when somebody says, will you pray for me? If I ask you, will you pray for me? And you say, yes, pray for that person. Parents, small or big promises you make to your children, keep them. Married couples, when you stood before God and you said, sickness or death, sickness or health, richer or poor, till death do us part, keep that oath. Hey, I'll call you this week. Make sure you call that person that week. Secondly, integrity. A person of integrity doesn't say one thing and think another. Oh, I'd love to come, but I'm going to be out of town that day. When the truth is, you wouldn't love to come. Does anybody do that? I do. Well, you know, I don't think your skill sets are quite right for our company. When the truth is, their skill sets are not right for any company. And this one at our church, oh, I'd love to get to know you too. No, you don't. No, I'm serious. It's not because you're a bad person. You don't have any room for more relationships. Why do you just flippantly go, oh, yes, and make promises that you can't keep? What you say, when you say one thing and think another, when you say one thing and do another, the Bible's saying you're not whole, you're in pieces. 
You're not a person of integrity. Here's a third. A person of integrity doesn't say one thing here oh, and then say another thing over there. Oh. Oh. Major conviction of the Holy Spirit. Right here. Right here. You don't say one thing here and do another thing over there. Do you say one thing in front of someone or to one group of people when you're in front of them only to turn around and say something else to others? You know what we do this? We do this when you need to speak truth. When you're a coward and you want to speak truth and love to that person and you just can't get yourself to do it because you're a coward, so you'll say one thing in front of them and then you'll turn around and it turns into gossip, slander, etc. Why do we do that? Business people, anybody own businesses? Do you portray one, this is who we are as a business in front of the customers, but then to your employees, how do you treat them? I mean, I can go on and on with the examples, but we need to move on. Fourth, a person of integrity. Oh, man, this is hard. Isn't one way when people are looking and another when no one is looking? Person of integrity, who you are in the light is the same as you are when you're alone in your room in the dark. A person of integrity is who you are this in public is the same person that you are in private. I'm just going to speak to leaders here, leader types. People will not follow leaders with moral incongruities. They may stay with you for a little bit, but eventually if they go, they're not the same person. They will not follow you. Are you the same person you are in the light that you are in the dark? Are you the same person when you are with one group of people and then you are with others? How do you, how do you become a person of integrity? By the way, um, is this hard? I just, just one or two people. Is this hard? Tell me why it's hard. Yeah, Brian. I love what he said. He said, we live in a culture where it says, get ahead by all means necessary. That's our culture. And speaking the truth and being honest might mean that you don't get as far ahead. Anybody else? Yeah, Wendy. Yeah. Lies and deceit. All sins stem from that. I love, I love what Byron said to me. This week, do you mind if I share that, Byron? Is it okay? Yeah. You guys, Byron has shared with our church um, the fundamental rule in AA or those meetings are what? Honesty, right? Rigorous honesty. Because if you're not rigorously honest, forget about transformation and change. Okay. Um, can we go to the cross and see the gospel? Because, <laughs> you know, if you grew up in typical church, a pastor at this point would be like, so go out there and be honest. Okay. <laughs> we all walk out here like, okay. <laughs> Feeling all like beat up, right? Let's get the gospel. You ready? Here we go. Look at verse 36. 
And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. There's a combination of tough truth and tender truth, and we'll be done here. What does Jesus mean when he says, do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black? They had hair dye back then too. Okay? Did you know that? They had hair dye back then, yes. But this is what Jesus is saying here. He says, he's been saying throughout this context, don't swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by your head. Why? Because God is everywhere. He owns everything. God is creator. And he's saying, you didn't create your head any more than you created the city, the heavens, or the earth. God is saying, you are a creature, creator. That means that as a creature, you are bound to laws of design that govern a creature. Why should you not tell a lie? Why should you not commit adultery? For the same reason you don't breathe when you're 15 underwater. Because if you breathe when you're 50 foot underwater, you're trying to go against the design, law of design as a creature, and you will what? You will die. Do you know what he's saying? You weren't designed to lie. You weren't created to lie. You were created for truth. And when you go against the design, you might not die as quickly as breathing underwater 15 feet, but eventually it will catch up to you. Why do you think people disintegrate living a lie? Why do you think people eventually go, I can't stand this anymore, when they hold on? Christian or not, you weren't designed or created to live with the lie. Hard truth? You can't continue to lie, half-truth, misrepresentation, not keep promises, and not just not be healthy, but live. Should we live? Hard truth. The tender truth, though, is recognized that not only are we creature, but that we are redeemed creature. Not only is he our creator, but he's our redeemer. I, I saw this for the first time this week, and I was just blown away. Because if you want to stand integrity, if you want to stand, understand integrity, you have to see Jesus. You have to see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You have to see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Check this out. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Everybody's sleeping. Nobody's around. He's alone. He's alone in the dark. Jesus is alone in the dark. He's alone in the dark. His disciples, he's told them, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't believe it. He is alone in the dark. And he's about to face this. And he is about to face the most difficult, torturous thing that he will ever do. But nobody is around. Nobody is around. He is alone in the dark. And what's his prayer? His prayer is, Father, I don't want to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. In the dark alone, he stays true to his promise. When nobody's around. When nobody is around. Why? He is constantly aware that he's being observed by his heavenly father. The gospel says, if you look at Jesus dying in the dark for you when no one is looking, that's the only way you'll be able to live in the dark for him when no one is looking. You got to think about the integrity of what he did. 
You can't just feel guilty about lying. You can't just feel guilty about being dishonest. You can't just feel, because that's religiosity and that will eat your soul alive. You have to go look at Jesus in the dark, remaining a person of integrity. For who? For me, for me, for me. And the only way that you and I would be motivated to live a life of integrity is not, I got to be better, I got to try harder, feel guilty. It's looking at your Savior and saying, what gave him the awareness and the wherewithal to remain a person, a man of integrity, in the dark when no one was looking? It's that motivation that will keep you and me looking at him to be men and women of integrity when no one is looking. That's first. That's first. Listen to me very. Watch this. You got you to you get this. That's first. You have to look at him. And then you have to do what he did, which is what? Which is what? The only reason why Jesus remained a man of integrity is not because you and I are swayed more by the fact that 20 million eyes will be watching on national television to change our behavior. Jesus lived with the constant awareness of his father's presence everywhere at all times. And that was nurtured in the crucible of daily time with this Heavenly Father. You do not turn on and off. Do you know why you and I compromise all the time when nobody's looking? Because we are not aware of the presence of the Heavenly Father. Why are we not aware of the presence of the Heavenly Father? That's not something you turn on and off. It is nurtured and fostered every. One last thing. So you see, if you're not a Christian, I need to speak to you. Because if you're not a Christian, do you know where dishonesty started? Dishonesty started in Genesis 3. I'm just going to just make it as simple as possible. Genesis, Genesis 3, when man and woman decided to come out from under the rule and reign of God, the fundamental thing that they felt, the only way to deal with that was dishonesty. What do I mean? The starting point of dishonesty was when man and woman decided to be dishonest about their dependence on their creator. See, some of you guys living here, you're sitting there going, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying to be an honest person, but I just can't. Here's the reason why. The fundamental starting point, and Wendy, you spoke more prophetic truth than you realized. The fundamental truth of all dishonesty was when man and woman decided to be dishonest about the most fundamental thing, and that is their dependence on their creator. If you are sitting here today and you're going, I don't need God. I'm, I can live independent of him. I'm my own master. I'm my own Lord. I do what I want to. Nobody, Christians do. Nobody tells me what to do. I do my own thing. You are lying about the nature of who you are. And if you can't be honest about your dishonesty, you'll never be honest about anything else in your life. This is why criticism is so painful to you. This is why you're so offended when somebody doesn't treat you in a special way. The road to honesty begins not with being morally perfect. If you're sitting here going, Christians, I can't be a Christian. Why? I'm just not a perfect person. Christians are perfect people. You have the gospel totally wrong. The gospel doesn't say God accepts perfectly honest people. God accepts people who are willing to repent about their dishonesty. God accepts people, no matter how messed up you are, who are willing to go, I'm going to be honest about my dishonesty. I'm going to be honest about the fact that I can't do life. I'm going to be honest about the fact that I'm dependent on him. I'm going to be honest about the fact that I've been living my life apart from him, doing whatever the heck I want to. I'm going to be honest about that. And Jesus says, you're halfway there. That 
is the road to living a truly honest life. If you're not a Christian or you are a Christian, and fundamentally at the core of your heart, you live with this illusion, I don't need God, I can live apart from God, no, 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 then you are being dishonest about the most fundamental truth, and that is you are a creature in need of a Savior. And He doesn't require perfection. He requires deep, authentic, true honesty. God, I pray the prayer of David. Give me an undivided heart. Give me an undivided heart. I pray for my friends. I pray for my brothers and sisters, my church family. As we live throughout this week, may our yeses be yeses, and may our noes be no. Transform us and create in us and in this community a people of radical truth telling. In the name of the Father and the Son. And the Holy Ghost. And all God's people said. And all God's people said. Next week, we look at turn the other cheek and loving your enemies. Pray for somebody that you could invite. See you back here next week. See many of you over at the warming center in about 30 minutes. Take care, everybody. <laughs>